Now, in the first Discover and Explore service of this series, we reflected that the Reformers' theological convictions about the essentials of Christianity were later summarized in five Latin phrases or slogans that emerged during the Reformation known as the five solas. And these included sola scriptura, scripture alone, the Bible alone as our highest authority. The key implication of the principle is that interpretations and applications of the scriptures do not have the same authority as the scriptures themselves. Luther said, a simple layman armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without it. And this was consistent with the intent of the Reformation, which was to correct what Luther asserted to be the errors of the Catholic Church in his day and time by appeal to the uniqueness of the Bible's textual authority. Sola Scriptura, however, does not ignore Christian history, tradition, or the church when seeking to understand the Bible. Rather, it sees the church as being the Bible's interpreter, the ecumenical creeds as the interpretive context, and scripture as the only final authority in matters of faith and practice. As Luther said, the true rule is this, God's word shall establish articles of faith and no one else, not even an angel, can do so. Lutheranism, as we've heard in today's reading, loves and treasures the word of God. The scriptures are the sole source for doctrine and practice. The scriptures deliver Christ to us and for this we rejoice. And as we heard in Colossians 3, we are to let the word or message of Christ dwell in us richly as we worship together. But for many people, this raises as many questions as it answers, because it is simply not possible for us to read scripture without interpreting what we read. All reading of scripture is interpreted reading. There is no plain reading of scripture which does not involve interpretation. So for scripture to be understood, there has to be a struggle because the text has to be reinterpreted over and over again in terms of each generation and each culture. And engaging in that struggle may be what is meant by letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. The missiologist Leslie Newbegin has helpfully unpacked some of what is involved in engaging in this struggle. He wrote that the Bible is the body of literature which renders accessible to us the character, action, and purpose of God. Taken as a whole, the Bible fitly renders God. But this can only be understood as we are engaged in the same struggle that we see in scripture. This is the struggle to understand and deal with the events of our time in the faith that God creates purpose, sustains all that is, and will bring all to its proper end. 
The Bible, he says, comes to us in its canonical shape as the result of many centuries of interpretation and reinterpretation, editing and re-editing, with a unity that depends on two primary centers, the rescue of Israel from Egypt and the events concerning Jesus. Events happening in the contingent world of history which are interpreted as disclosures in a unique sense of the presence and action of God. However, the interpretation has to be reinterpreted over and over again in terms of another generation and another culture. The original interpretive language becomes a text which in turn needs interpretation. Yet the text cannot be eliminated. The events are not mere symbols of an underlying reality which could be grasped apart from them. What is presented in the Bible is testimony. The Bible, he concludes, is the book of community. And neither the book nor the community are properly understood except in their reciprocal relationship with each other. It is this relationship that is the clue to the meaning of both the book and the community. The Bible functions as authority only within a community that is committed to faith and obedience and which is embodying that commitment in an active discipleship embracing the whole of life, public and private. A final helpful way of understanding how the Bible can function with authority in our lives was set out by the former Bishop of Durham, Tom Wright. He describes the story of the Bible as being like a five-act play containing the first four acts in full, i.e. Act 1 being creation, Act 2 being the fall, Act 3 being the story of Israel, and Act 4 the story of Jesus. Within this play, we can understand ourselves to be actors improvising our part on the basis of what has gone before and the hints that we have of how the play will end. He writes this. The writing of the New Testament would then form the first scene in the fifth act and would simultaneously give hints of how the play is supposed to end. The church would then live under the authority of the extant story, being required to offer an improvisatory performance of the final act as it leads up to and anticipates the intended conclusion. The task of Act 5 is to reflect on, draw out and implement the significance of the first four acts, more specifically of Act 4 in the light of Acts 1 to 3. Faithful improvisation in the present time requires patient and careful puzzling over what has gone before, including the attempt to understand what the nature of the claims made in and for the fourth act really amount to. Tom Wright concludes that he is proposing a notion of authority which is vested in the creator God himself 
and this God's story with the world, seen as focused on the story of Israel and thence on the story of Jesus as told and retold in the Old and New Testaments and as still requiring completion. As Leslie Newbegin has written, this story is understood as we become engaged in the same struggle that we see in Scripture. That is, the struggle to understand and deal with the events of our time in the faith that God creates purpose, sustains all that is, and will bring all to its proper end. And this is what I think it means for us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and to make the Bible authoritative in our lives today. Amen.